You know, as we continue our study of 2 Thessalonians, I think when you think of a word like Thessalonians, it just feels so ancient and irrelevant. Like we've walked through the ruins of 2 Thessalonians, right? Thessalonica. These were real people learning to wait on God in some of the most difficult of circumstances. How do you wait? Are you good at waiting? I'm not really good at waiting. But all through history, followers of Jesus had to wait. Peter and Paul were behind bars. God, when are you going to release me? When are you going to let me appeal to Caesar and have my case heard? For many of us, it's waiting on COVID to ever get over. Waiting for business to get back to normal. Waiting for, for some relationship to be healed. Even Habakkuk in the Old Testament, he stood up in a watchtower way above the fields around him and said, God, why are you letting good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? And God said to all of them, you should see my vantage point. Have you seen my watchtower? From the vantage point of history, I am working all things together for good. And let me teach you how to wait while you're going through difficulty. See, here at Christmas, we know that many people were waiting for his first coming, and he fulfilled his promises. So how do we wait on God for his second coming to come and fix everything that's broken? How do we trust his vantage point? You know, that's what we're going to learn today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. To do that, let me tell you where we've been in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because if you remember, he started off at the beginning of chapter 2 and said, Guys, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived about the coming of the Lord. Don't think that you missed it. Don't think that God doesn't keep his promises. Then he went on to say, God's going to give some signs or some indicators when he comes. So be careful. There's a man of lawlessness needs to show up, the Antichrist. And there's going to be a falling away where people turn away from what's true and what's right. Then he goes on and he says in the next part, what Ryan shared with us last week, I thank God that you're standing fast during this time when you're waiting on God, knowing that God has, has, has been working in you. He's been establishing you. He's been making things firm for you. So today what I want to do is I want to connect chapter 3 to chapter 2 and show you there's similar ideas going on here. In fact, let's read a little bit of chapter 2 and notice a similarity to chapter 3 here with our key verse. He says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father comfort your hearts and establish you. Jump down to chapter 3 and it says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and into the patience of Christ. Do you see the Father, may I? May the Father comfort me. May the Father establish me. Then chapter 3, this idea gets picked up again. May the Lord, our Father, direct my heart into the patience of God. And the idea of the patience of God is God's long-suffering. How do you suffer long while you're waiting for Him to show up? So today we're going to look at three Father May I's. Three things we want to ask God that He may do in us while we're waiting and trusting in His vantage point. I don't know if you ever played at a playground with your kids, or maybe as a kid. We used to play a lot of tag. We ran an awful lot as kids. So we'd play tag, going down the slides, climbing, chasing after each other, sometimes lining up, saving Red Rover, Red Rover, send whoever right over. But one of the games I hated the most, but people occasionally talked me into it, was Mother May I. 
to play this game? One person's the leader, and that person, typically my sister, stands at one end and would say, all right, who needs to go first? I go first. Mother, may I take five giant steps? No, but you may take one giant step, and you're moving toward the leader. And then you'd have to wait for everybody else to take a turn. And then, mother, may I take five small steps? No, but you can take two small steps. And I remember being very bad at waiting even back then. I wanted to rush to the leader. I wanted to rush to the end. But in the same way that game of Mother May I brought out a lot of frustration in me, the inability to wait on a game or wait on the leader, I think that's a lot what Paul's saying to the Thessalonians. I want you, while you're waiting, to have that, that heart of submission to say, Father, may I trust you? May I move forward? May I know that you're growing me here when I want to play, when I want to go fast? I want to know that you're working in me. In fact, let me outline this passage for us and show kind of what are the main ideas and what supports what, just like we've done the last couple weeks. Now remember what he says. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. Okay, what are we praying for? Well, the next idea supports that. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified or lifted up just as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from these unreasonable and wicked people. Now, he then transitions. He says, for not everybody has faith. But guys, remember when you're waiting. Remember when it's frustrating that God is faithful. What's he faithful regarding? Notice how many times he says you. He's faithful to you. He's faithful. He's going to establish you. He's going to guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. In other words, when you're waiting on God, there's things we can do while we're waiting to increase our confidence in God's vantage point and his perspective. So our first Father May I is, Father, may I be comforted and established. Now to understand what he's saying here in chapter 2 with the first Father May I, I want you to picture an army coming up against a, a tower. At the top of the tower are soldiers, archers attacking you, and you're the one out here in the field. And you're the one trying to advance on the tower, but you're under constant attack. Now get that visual in your head. That's how the Thessalonians felt. They were under vicious attack. And Paul uses a very specific word here. God, we need to be comforted and established while we're under attack from that tower. Now look how he says it. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. That's the word of people advancing and being attacked by a tower or a city. Now, here's our Father, may I. May our Lord Jesus Christ, and may God our Father. Father, may I be established and comforted. Now, what kind of Father is this? The Father who has loved us and given us everlasting comfort or, or consultation and a good hope by grace. But may our Father do what? Comfort our hearts. The word comfort there is to come alongside and whisper, you can do it. 
going to make it. I'm standing along with you. And establish you in every good work and every good word. Then notice he comes back to the idea of the brethren again. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Stand fast, but pray for us that the word of God can run swiftly. So see the two ideas of brethren pray for us? Now this word stand fast is a word picture that Paul's using. So picture this field behind me filled up with soldiers. Picture those archers shooting down at them and they pull up their shields and they gather together. Some shields in front of them, some on top, and they're guarded. They're protected. They are standing fast. In fact, in Ephesians it says, you stand. Having done everything you know to do, life just keeps kicking you in the teeth. Stand firm. God says, I want you, my brethren, to stand under the pressure. Put up the shield of faith above you, next to you. Bring other Christians alongside you and stand fast. As you do that, say, God, while I'm under attack, while I'm waiting for things to get better, I ask that you would comfort me, whisper to me, I'm here. I'm with you. I haven't given up on you. And I've got a plan. And establish me. Now this word establish is very, very interesting. It's actually a construction word. It's a word used in the Greek if you picture a wall being built on a piece of bedrock. So let me show you a picture of what that would look like. To have a giant wall that's being constructed on a piece of bedrock. What does that look like? Well, Paul's saying, I want God to strengthen you in the same way that he's going to inwardly build your life up on the wall of bedrock of his claims and his promises and the truth that he is faithful. Is your life built on uncertainty? How's things going? How am I feeling? <laughs> How do people feel about me? Are they built on something eternal, like the security of who God is? Father, may you comfort me, and Father, may you establish me so I can stand fast, trusting your vantage point when I'm under attack. Now our second Father, may I, is Father, may your word run swiftly in me and be glorified in me. You know, I used to coach soccer out here on these very fields. And I remember strategizing, pulling people in and putting people out and putting people in the right positions, saying, run faster, come on, get to it, guys, get to it. And the goal was to get that ball swiftly moving down the field and into one of those goals. You know, contrast that from, say, going to a, a public pool. There's always somebody whistling, right? Tweet, tweet, no running, no running. Or somebody yelling at a public park, walk, please, right? But I want you to think of this idea of running swiftly, strategizing, persevering, getting the ball down the field, training yourself, training your team. That's the idea Paul's getting at when he says, Father, may your word run swiftly through me, in me, down the road. And notice the Greek word he uses ties into athleticism. It ties into the games of their day. Look what he says here in the passage. It's really fascinating how he develops this idea tying into what we talked about in the previous chapter. Remember, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. This is our second brethren, right? Pray for us 
that the word of the Lord, his promises, his commandments can run swiftly and be glorified in us just as it is with you. It's a team effort here. And that we may be delivered from some unreasonable and wicked men. Now, I want to look specifically at that word to run swiftly. It's a Greek word, and the Greek word is treko. Now, what does it mean to treko? Well, again, it's to run swiftly, but this idea really has its roots in understanding the Greek and Roman games, the Olympic games, what it means to run swiftly. What if while we're waiting on God, while we're going through any issue, we could have this idea that God's got a vantage point higher than mine. He's got promises that I can count on in the future because I can count on the past. Remember, Paul's writing to folks who are very, very familiar with the Olympic Games. In fact, in this verse he mentioned already he wants freedom or deliverance from wicked men. So he needs God's vantage point to run swiftly through him like he's seen at the Olympic Games. There's all kinds of artifacts that show how important the games were during this time to, to, to Paul's audience, especially those in Thessalonica. The idea of running a race. This idea of running swiftly, it comes from almost putting your feet in the blocks of a track and field. It's getting in the blocks and waiting for the gun to go. God, I want that idea to run in me. I want your promises. I want your perspective to just be rooted deep in me like I'm on the starting block just waiting for you to say go and knowing that you are faithful. Now Paul's been in prison once before, we'll talk about that in a moment, but he's going to be in prison several times in his life. In fact, one of those times he's in a place called Caesarea Maritime. I got a chance to visit there several years ago and right outside of this jail cell that the Apostle Paul finds him in, finds himself in, there's actually a giant Olympic Games going on there. So while he's sitting in prison, writing letters, meditating on God, he can hear people huffing and puffing and running around that race there at Herod's palace at Caesarea Maritime. He's thinking, I want to run the race God has for me. And just like an athlete has to slow themselves down to train hard to be prepared for the race, Paul's saying, I got to train hard God, i got to allow your word, your promises to run swiftly through me and in me during this time. That's what I need and that's what I want. Put me on the starting blocks, God, that I can understand your perspective. Then he goes on. He says, pray for us that that word runs swiftly. Father, may your word run swiftly. But also, may you, Father, oh, answer this prayer. I would love to be delivered. Delivered from these prison bars. Delivered from this persecution. Delivered from this broken world. He specifically says that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now they've seen God do that in Paul's life before. In fact, archaeologists have found the actual prison that they think Paul was in in Philippi before he came to Thessalonica. If you zoom in on it, you can see a giant forum area where people gather together. And just to the right side of that is the prison of Paul. As they excavated this area, 
This is where Paul sat with Silas, where he was beaten and put in stocks. And he has seen God show up. He has seen God's word run swiftly through him. And when he waits on God, he's not afraid to say, hey, I'd love to get out of here. But before I get out of here, may your promises run swiftly through me. And what are some of those promises? Well, we don't all have faith. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you. Are you trusting God to establish you, to build you on that foundation? to guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence, even in prison, in God concerning you, both that you, what you do and will do concerning the things we command you. Remember he said back in chapter 2, verse 16, that I may establish you in every good word and in every good work. So what does it mean to be established in every good word and every good work? Well, it's what we're doing as a church right now. Every year about this time, we set up our giving tree. As soon as you come in the front doors, you turn to the left, and there's a giant Christmas tree there. But all over the Christmas tree are ornaments, ways that you and I can give back. Some of those are local, being established in good, good deeds or good works toward those who need food with Interparish Ministries in our blue bags. Those who need a present, working with those down at City Gospel or Interparish Ministries. Or maybe you want to give and you're so focused on God, what does it mean for you to run swiftly through me? I want to give to somebody who's going through a challenging time. And so there's stuff there with Happy Church, with our work with back-to-back -back ministries. There are ways in which you and your family can grab one of those ornaments and you can buy something. On the other hand, you might say, Chad, I'm not ready to come back to church yet. We've set this up on the website as well. If you go to www.horizoncc.com, you will see in our upper banners spinning around a giving tree. When the giving tree shows up, click on that, and it gives you very specific gifts, very detailed shopping lists, things you can buy, stop by the church office, drop them off, and gifts we can give to those who are in need during this time. Or if you want a personal shopper, you can call Jill Gunther at the church. Tell her, hey, here's what I got. Here's a credit card. Here's the money I'm going to drop off. I would like to buy some gifts to be established in good works during this time. December, Thanksgiving, it's all a time of remembering what God's done for us and being thankful. And saying, how can I be generous to others? How can I be generous to God? And maybe this is a time for you and your family to buy a gift for somebody in need. Maybe it's a time for you to think about your year-end giving and what you want to do to give to be part of what God's doing here at our church. What's pretty amazing is I get to have a front row seat to not just the incredible giving our church does. Every year we get calls from back to back and they say, your church sends more people than any other church in the country. Pretty amazing. But I also get a front row seat to people talking about what God is doing to establish His work in their lives. I got the coolest note from a women's Bible study about two weeks ago. Just line after line. Chad, I've never loved the Bible as much as I do at Horizon. Chad, my husband has been going to Authentic Manhood with Ken Kington, and it has been amazing to see the transformation going on in his life. Thank you so much for teaching me how to love God and how to lo love other people deeper. In fact, about two weeks ago, I had a guy came up to me after the, uh, the, the 915 service. He said, can I talk to you for a second? 
I said, sure. He said, we've been coming on Saturdays for a couple years, but I don't think we've had a chance to talk more than just briefly. I said, oh, well, tell me more. He said, we have loved coming to Horizon. I have never looked forward to church. I've never, after church, gone out with my wife and actually talked about the sermon. We're like, finally it's over. He didn't quite say that, but like, we never talked about it. Now, on Thursday, we start talking, my wife and I, when's church? Every week we're learning stuff. We can apply to our marriage or apply to our life. We can be established as Christians. He said, people call me up often and say, hey, what made you decide to, to try Horizon? He said, well, I've been a Christian a long, long time, but it's like my whole life I've been reading the children's Bible. And now that I'm at Horizon, I'm hearing these messages. It's like for the first time I'm reading the adult Bible and seeing how God's real work in history can be applied to my life. That's what we're about as a church. Comfortably connecting people to God and connecting them to these promises that when you're going through challenging times, God can establish you. God can work in you. We want to help grow you during this time. Help you connect to God even when you're waiting. They say, Father, may I <laughs> know that your word is running swiftly in me. But there's a third Father, may I in this text. So our third Father, may I, is Father, may I have my heart directed into your love and into your patience. Now the word picture here is pretty amazing in verse 5. He's basically saying when you're going through difficulty, when you're going through challenges, when you're under persecution, when things aren't going the way you hoped, when you're waiting for something, God, may my heart be directed on a path. It's like, God, keep my heart straight on the path. I don't want to turn to the left and give up or turn to the right. How are you doing this Thanksgiving? Last week was tough. How's Christmas looking? It's easy to get off the path. God, while I'm going through challenges, keep me on the path. Keep me choosing joy. Keep me choosing hope. Keep me choosing love and forgiveness. When everything wants to steer me off the path, direct me. Keep my paths straight. And keep my path straight into the patience of God. And the Greek word here for the patience is like long-suffering. It's another sports metaphor. It's the idea of a marathon runner who runs with endurance when going through challenges. God, keep me enduring. Keep me training for what's to come. God, give me what I need inside to endure. Help me to be as patient with my challenges as you were on the cross. It's the same idea used in Hebrews. How do how could Jesus, for the joy set before him, endure the cross? And how do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Because of what he did for us, he stayed on that path. He said, God, do the same for me while I'm waiting and while I'm wondering. And part of that is looking forward to what God's going to do in the future. What's our key takeaway today? It goes back to that first, Father, may I, right? Father, may your word, your promises, your faithfulness, your joy run swiftly through me and other people as I'm going through this time. There's an interesting story. It's uh, back in May 19th of 1780. In history, it's called the Dark Day. The Dark Day. In fact, George Washington writes about this in his journal. 
There was a moment in northeastern United States that the entire skies turned black. And when they did, several legislators ran in to see a legislator named Davenport. They thought it was the end of the world. The skies are dark and they came in the middle of a work day and they said, I think this might be the end times. I think this might be the return of the Lord. Should we go home? Should we take off work? The world's coming to an end. Should we go home to prepare? And this legislator from Stanford said, well, if it is the end of the world, nothing we can do about it. And if it is the end of the world, I want God to find me doing my duty. So he called for candles. And they brought candles into the courtroom and he continued his work as judge and legislator because he wanted to be found faithful even if it was God's return. How about for you? Turned out that dark day wasn't the return of the Lord. It turned out that there was a big fire, big fire and all the blackness from the smoke coming from Canada made its way over and blackened the sky. Are you living every day the way Davenport did? Ironically, he was 87 at the time. He would die many years later, faithfully serving in his job in the courtroom. He felt like what God wanted him to be doing is to be doing his work faithfully if he did return. I love that idea that if you knew Christ was returning, you wouldn't have to change your behavior. You say, I'm always living in light of his coming, and I want to be found being faithful incorporating his promises, seeing his word and his faithfulness run swiftly through me at work, at home, in my relationships. And the Thessalonians got a first-hand look at that very thing. Remember I mentioned that Paul was able to talk about how God's peace, God's joy, the joy of Christ's first return at Christmas was with him even when he was being persecuted, even when he was in prison. Join me in imagining what it would feel like to watch firsthand someone who could bring the joy of God and his first coming into his current circumstances in a way that inspired the people around him. So how do you have that Christmas mindset? Well, think of Tim Robbins from Shawshank Redemption. In fact, we're shooting today at the very prison they shot the movie. Think about how he was able to find joy in his circumstances when he knew there was that way of escape. Remember the big poster? There was like this way, and like that last couple days, he knew he was about to escape, and it totally changed his mindset. He still came and sat in a cell, but he knew he would soon be free. That's the idea Paul's getting at here. When you realize that whatever happens in this life, you can be free. Ultimately, God is with you in the midst of this, but also, you're going to one day get out of here. You have the hope of heaven and the full reward of it. In fact, there's a verse he goes on to say. He says, there's a secret to being content. And then there's a verse you may have heard, seen it on a, a jersey maybe. Philippians 4.13, For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What if you really believed 
you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you. No matter what you face, no matter what you're up against, you've got a source of strength that can overcome anything. But see, that source of strength isn't just so you can run a good business or you know, score some touchdowns. That's fine. But what he's really saying is God gives you the strength to do all things, meaning learning to being content in abundance <laughs> and in need. That's the mindset that changes everything. And when you get that, God says, then I want you to be as, as generous to others as I've been to you. I want you to realize that I can give you the strength to serve others, forgive others, love others, give generously to others, compassion, money, service, because you know that I've done the same for you. You can live generously. You can live selflessly because you have something that cannot be contained and cannot be torn down by circumstances. Imagine Paul sitting in that that prison in Philippi. He's been beaten to within an inch of his life. He's sitting in shackles. What they would do in those days is they would take your legs and spread them apart until they almost dislocated and then lock them down into shackles on both sides. You're bleeding. You're bloody. You've been beaten. And all of a sudden, you start to think about Jesus. What? Yeah, Paul starts to think about Jesus in the middle of those circumstances. How generous God had been suffering for him, living for him, dying for him. And as he was suffering in that moment, remembering how Jesus suffered for him, something came out of him that surprised everyone. Now imagine Paul and Silas sitting here in their shackles, bleeding against the back wall. And now imagine you're a, you're a prisoner nearby. You're listening in. See, there's something about being at a prison. You love it when the newbies come in, right? You love it their first night because who knows, are they gonna blubber like a baby? Are they gonna cry? Are they gonna swear? Or are they gonna cry out to their gods? So all the prisoners that night are listening in. Paul and Silas are in prison. <laughs> I heard they're religious. Can't wait to hear what comes out of them. And they all lean in on the wall. They lean up against the bars. And they hear something. At first, it's almost a whimper. Is he crying? No. It's music. I think he's singing. Paul's having a Christ Mass, Christmas, a Mass, a worship service about Christ. He, in this jail cell, is, in Philippi, is singing about how he adores him. And there's a second voice. It's like a two-part harmony. They're adoring Christ in their circumstances. It's like Christmas has not only come into this jail cell, it's now filling the entire prison.
Christ the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ.